jumper on the way. Good! Tyus Battle nails the three! Dungey leaps and into the end zone for Dungey. A touchdown! If that's not on every highlight show tonight, then I, I don't know who's watching. Howard for oh! Soaring through the air! High-flying Slovakian! Screen pass here, he'll get one. And he stays alive and he's got room to the 10. One man to beat, he'll do it! Touchdown, Syracuse! And for Syracuse, party time. The upset, pulled by the Orange. They defeat Clemson 27 to 24. The penetration, step back. Oh, a pressure bucket for Tyus Battle. This is Orange Nation with Stephen Fonte and Seth Goldberg. Powered by Drivers Village and Hummel's Office Plus. Good afternoon, everyone. Glad to have you with us alongside Seth Goldberg. I'm Stephen Fonte. It's a Thursday edition of Orange Nation. 315-437-7644 is the number if you'd like to get involved. We've got two guests lined up for you today. We're going to continue to preview Syracuse NC State at 1230 with Anthony Becht. He will be on the call with Beth Mowens for ESPN2 Saturday night, 7 o'clock inside the Dome. So we'll catch up with Anthony Becht at 1230 and then our good friend Steve Andrus from 444.com will be on the show with us at 1.30 as we look ahead to week 8 of the NFL season, which kicks off tonight. We'll certainly get into SU football. We can touch on the World Series, Seth, if you'd like, but we begin with SU basketball. And I know it's just, quote-unquote, a preseason game. I always love these first couple of games. Our first chance to see what everybody looks like. And I know that all five starters are back, so we, we kind of know what everybody looks like and what their games are like. But everybody makes, seemingly everybody makes, big improvements in the offseason. I'm curious to see what, what Merrick looks like, what O'Shea looks like. Uh, you know, we know what Tyus is going to look like. He's going to be a beast. Um, we're not going to be able to see Frank Howard. We're not going to be able to see Jalen Carey tonight. We're going to probably see more of Buddy Bayheim. I'm curious to see what he looks like uh, out there playing another opponent. And again, we, we saw these guys a little bit in the orange-white scrimmage. We're going to get to see them play an opponent tonight, though. And I know it's just a preseason game, but I always love these these first couple of glimpses at what the next team looks like. I think I'm I'm most excited, based off the conversation with Jerry McNamara at the Jerry McNamara show earlier this week, I'm most excited to see Pascal Chukwu and Barama Sidibe. And, and I know that they're going to be going up against guys who they are, quite literally, head and shoulders taller than. Uh, but I'm excited to see those two, because Jerry you know, said that those two, it, it seems like in the case of Pascal, he has really improved. He has really gotten better, um, and he's really improved as a player, both offensively and defensively. And for Barama, it sounds like he's just healthy again. It sounds like he's just... Uh, you know, a whole player again after uh, what really was just probably a really difficult year that he had to go through last year. I'm really excited to see those two guys. How about Elijah Hughes? We've heard so much about about Elijah. Yeah, what I, he brings to the table, I, and I think that we're going to see a whole lot of him tonight. Doesn't it make? Wouldn't yeah. it make a lot of sense for him to be the starter uh, next to but uh, Jim Bay uh, Tyus Battle? Third time's the charm there in the backcourt. I would think that it's either Elijah Hughes or Buddy Beheim, uh, but I, I would think that Hughes makes a whole lot of sense to get him some minutes next to Tyus and and figure out whether you know that works. Figure out if if that as a backcourt tandem can can really uh, be something that you can roll with at, at, for long stretches this year. I would have said uh, a couple weeks ago definitely that would be the case, and then Jim Beheim said, "Well, he's not a guard. Elijah Hughes is a forward." So. 
If that's the case, then maybe he puts Buddy in the starting lineup. I'd be surprised tonight, though, if if Buddy starts his first preseason game. You're right. It's probably going to be Elijah Hughes next to Battle. Uh, you know, Battle pointed out yesterday at ACC Media Day down in Charlotte. Listen, I've played the one, the two, and the three here, and not that much is going to change. You know, I would do it for a few minutes here and there. It's just that he's going to be doing it when he's when he's out there tonight. Most likely, he's going to be playing point guard. Uh, Jalen Carey officially has been ruled out. Uh, we know that Frank Howard uh, isn't quite ready to play yet, and Howard Washington is still rehabbing. So all three point guards are on the shelf at this point. So Battle. Presumably, he's going to run the point every minute that he's out there, and then it's just a matter of of who's next to him. And and you're right. I think Elijah probably gets the first crack at it, and I, I think we'll see extended minutes from Buddy Behan. And I, I wouldn't be surprised to see Hughes taking over at the point uh, at some point either. And, and I know what you just said, and, and it makes a whole lot of sense to think that way, that you know Jim Beheim said, hey, he's a forward. He's going to be playing forward. I'll, I'll go with what I heard most recently, and I, I know that it wasn't Jim Beheim; It was one of his assistants, but... I'll go with what I heard most recently, and that is Jerry McNamara saying you could slide him in one, two, or three. And I think that in an ideal world, Elijah Hughes is a forward. In an ideal world, he's playing the three and almost exclusively the three. But I, I don't think this is an ideal world. You're without your top two point guard options. You're without you know Frank Howard, who's been here for four years, and Jalen Carey, who you have very high expectations and high hopes for. So... I think that you need to find somebody, and if this is going to leak into two weeks from now, if this is going to leak into the regular season, you might need Elijah Hughes to stand in there and, and play some point guard. So it might not be the worst thing in the world to get him some some reps or some minutes there tonight. Yeah, potentially, and then you can slide Tyus back to his, his normal position. Right. Um, I, I think of the two... If you had to go to one or the other, you're going to Tyus. You're going first. to Tyus. No, I'm so I'm saying I think tonight after Tyus, it's Hughes who's going to yeah, do th- that. That's that's probably fair. And Tyus isn't going to play 40 minutes in a preseason game. So <laughs> I I mean, somebody not. else is going to have to bring the ball up the court. So that that's a fair point. But these could be valuable minutes for Tyus Battle at the point guard position to, you know, work on you know running the show a little bit. God forbid if they need him to do that at some point this season. You know, they've got Frank Howard. They've got. Uh, Jalen Carey, you know, what happens if, you know, we saw Frank foul out, um, you know, in the NCAA tournament with six Braden minutes Bear to go and Braden Bear day. comes don't, in. Don't worry. Um, you know, so getting him some run at the point, not the worst thing in the world. As you said, not an ideal situation. You want your point guards back, but they could survive the early part of the season. And this isn't just two preseason games as we talked about yesterday. They've got, what, Eastern Washington State and Moorhead State, uh, their first two games on the schedule. So they, they've got a little time to play with before things ramp up. Uh, the 14th is the UConn game, and then the following night they play either Iowa or Oregon. So uh, they've got a few weeks to play with. Frank says he's getting close. It sounds like Jalen's getting close. The fact he's doing on-the-court workouts uh, with Jerry, to me, that's a really good sign. They're not going to push it for a preseason game, but it sounds like uh, he's very close to coming back. So they'll survive these preseason games without him. And and I'm like I said, I'm just curious to see how everybody looks you know, the health of the centers, what Elijah Hughes can do. We've heard so much about what he can do. Now we're going to get to see him go up against an actual opponent. We've been hearing Buddy Beheim's, you know, shooting the heck out of the basketball. Curious to see, you know, Buddy uh, inside the dome. And and I'm, I'm really interested to see how Marek has worked on his game because he came on so strong at the end of the season last year. He was a different player offensively throughout the ACC tournament and into the NCAA tournament. And again, theoretically, he's going to be that player moving forward. He's worked on his offensive game in the offseason. I know that he's put on weight in the offseason. I'm just curious to see what, two. what that looks like. Yeah, that's what Jim said, <laughs> pound or two. I'm just curious to see what that looks like and how that translates to the court because 
Competition to get on the I mean, there's going to be a lot of competition to get on the court. It's not going to be easy to earn your minutes. And as we discussed yesterday, of the starters, he's the one guy who I could see his minutes going backwards. Now, Frank and Tyus aren't going to play 38, 39, 40 minutes on a regular basis. But they're also not going to drop down to 20. Right. And, you know, Marek's going to have to play well to hold off a guy like Elijah Hughes if that's what Jim Beheim decides to do. If he decides to start the same five, Marek's the one that stands in, you know stands to reason might miss out on some of his minutes. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more because you would imagine that Hughes would become the first guy off the bench and you bump O'Shea to the four or, you know, or... or Whatever you figure out, they're how kind to play of interchangeable, right? You figure out how to play those two as the forwards, and then you're leaving your guards in the game, um, and that means that Marek is coming off the floor. So I, I, I totally agree with you. He seems like the guy who stands to lose the most this season, who stands to lose the most ground, who, who you know, really needs to play well to stay on the floor. Now, if he plays really well and he plays well enough to warrant staying on the floor, then you wonder where the minutes go for everybody else. Then you wonder where the minutes are. For Elijah Hughes, for Jalen Carey, for for Buddy Bayheim, uh, because like you said, it, it's hard to see Tyus Battle and Frank Howard playing fewer than thirty minutes a game, right? It's 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 tough. It's tough to see them playing fewer than three quarters of the game, especially once you get into the ACC schedule. It's probably hard to see O'Shea playing too much less than 30 minutes per game. So wh- where are the minutes for everybody to make their impact? Generally, you want to play your best players. Um, now, the Dodgers have, have devised this bold strategy of not playing <laughs> not. their best players uh, in the World Series. That, that is that. Is, I know this is a tangent. That is the one thing I can't figure out about the Dodgers. I I know that there are splits and stuff and numbers, but I I don't understand not playing your best guys. I don't get it either. And you know, as a result, and this is this obviously isn't what they intended. But what's the one weakness of the Red Sox? The biggest weakness of the Red Sox, their bullpen. The right. bullpen was lights out last night, and I I have to imagine that 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 has that has played into it. Like you want it, sure. you want your best bats and to be- see pitches. And the best guys are cold and right. That's it's just it's the Dodgers have to reassess what they're doing. But again, that's that's beside that's the point. A tangent. Yes, you you do want your best players on the floor or on the field or whatever sport you're playing. And so yeah, I think. Tyus and Frank are probably going to play 33 to 35 minutes a game, and Jalen Carey, you know, picks up the other 10 to 15, you know, at least early on until you see how he does, um, and and maybe he earns more minutes. And and yeah, I think you're going to have O'Shea out there between 30 and 35 minutes, and then your centers are probably going to split time down the middle. So where does that leave Merrick? Where does that leave Buddy? They're going to have to earn their playing time. Where does it leave Elijah Hughes? Yeah, well, I think Elijah's going to find his time. He, I I agree. But when O'Shea, you, you know, th- let's you just, just say lay, this. But as you just outlaid it, right? So let's go to the low end of the range that you had 33, 33, 33. So that's 21 minutes open, uh, quote unquote. Is 21 minutes a game what you expect, or do you expect more so from him? And that, is, ex- that assumes that nobody else plays. So if O'Shea averages, so let's say he averages 30 minutes, okay? Okay. That's, that's 10 minutes he's off the floor. And let's say Merrick averages 20 minutes. That's 20 minutes he's off the floor. So that's 30 minutes that a forward needs to be in the game. Yes. So I'm not saying Elijah's getting, you know, all 30 minutes, but he's going to get those some are time. His but but yeah, I I think he's going to get a significant amount of minutes, especially if he's as good as everybody says that he is. So it's a good problem to have. You've got great seven guys, eight guys, you know, Jim Beham said yesterday, Buddy's the eighth nine guy guys. right now. Yeah, we're, nine guys. We're, you know, we're we're playing Buddy. Um you've you've got a, a 
a reserve center that you feel very comfortable. He he even feels like a starter. If Elijah comes off the bench, he's a guy who feels like a starter. And Jalen Gary, you know, can obviously come in. So that's that's eight right there. And then Buddy's the ninth guy. And, and Jim Beham said yesterday, you know, Buddy's going to play. So they're going to find ways to get nine guys into the game. Uh, and it always has a way of working itself out. Somebody gets hurt. We've seen Merrick has the ability to play the five if needed. Right. Again, not ideal, but maybe against a certain opponent. Maybe he's you know playing some time at the five, and then you've got Elijah and O'Shea on the floor together. And they, they're so long and lanky as it is that I think the zone will be fine as long as you know they're not getting crushed on the boards because Merrick's in the middle. And that's where Merrick putting on weight kind of comes into play. You you want Merrick to be able to hold his own uh, down low. And he, I mean, he held his own last year, but he definitely needs to to bulk up a little bit. And that's why I think I'm most curious to see what he brings to the table tonight and and through these first, you know, four, five, six games. I am too, because I, I was a big fan of his last year. I think that much was obvious uh, through these radio airwaves. I was a really big fan of his, his game, how he plays, uh, what he does and what he brings. And he came on really strong at the end of the year. And, and you could really see uh, what the coaching staff, I think, saw in him and what was... Uh, maybe not expected of him, but what was thought that he could do. And and we started to get that at the end of last season, and that's why Syracuse went on that run. I, I mean, watch watch back that game they won in the ACC tournament, and they don't win that game, and I know it was a blowout. They probably don't win that game without Marek Dolezal, though. Uh, you know, for, for as, as well as he played there, he played very well in their three tournament games. They don't win games down the stretch if, if he's not playing and making an impact. I think he's a real X factor on this team once again. You expect Ty's battle to be really good. You expect O'Shea to Brissett to be really good. You expect Frank Howard to be a, a very much above average point guard in the ACC. I think an X factor really is what Marek Dolezal brings to the team. He was a completely different player down the stretch of last season. and He, he just looked more confident. If he can just knock down that 15-footer, I mean, it, it, it would open up so much more for, for this offense. And, you know, we talked last year at times about how it felt like Syracuse was playing, you know, five on three or five on four on offense. If if everyone on the floor is a threat and the, the centers improve offensively and Merrick improves, you know, his ability to score and not just garbage buckets, but, you know, hit a little 10-footer, uh, that will dramatically change how you have to to defend this team and, and make them awfully more dangerous. We do need to take our first time out. 315-437-7644. We're back after this on ESPN Radio. This is Orange Nation with Stephen Fonte and Seth Goldberg. We're brought to you in part by the Bill Rapp Superstore at the corner of Thompson and Burnett in Syracuse or online at BillRapp.com. We've got Anthony Beck set to join us here in about 10 minutes from now as we'll switch gears and talk SU football. He'll be on the call with Beth Moens on Saturday night on ESPN2 for Syracuse and NC State. But we continue the basketball talk. Let me ask you this, uh, Seth. I know it's just a preseason game. Um is there anything you can see tonight that will concern you about the season ahead? Outside of somebody else getting hurt? I don't think so. I mean, how many times have we seen these games? And they're usually, they usually follow a, a relatively simple script. St. Rose's tallest player is six foot seven. Syracuse is going to physically overpower these guys. I mean, Tyus Battle, Elijah Hughes are six foot six. Because everybody gonna be on the, the starting, floor will be as, they're going to be as the starting backcourt. Exactly. St. Rose's tallest, tallest player. So I, I don't think that this is going to be a a challenging game. I think no. we know that going in. There's not going to be any kind of a challenge there. Um, I think really the only thing that I would be concerned about is if somebody else got hurt. 
And you can make an argument, oh, if they only go out and win by, if they go out and they only win by 15, they go out and they win by, you know, single digits. I, I guess you could make that argument, but they're without guys. It's the first game action they've got. That that wouldn't bother me as much as I, I think that they've got to keep the, the guys who are healthy now, they've got to keep healthy. I wouldn't worry too much about the score. I mean, Jim Beheim's going to coach differently than he right. will during a, a regular season game. He wants to try different combinations. Well, that's, and that's and why I say the score doesn't bother me. It doesn't bother me either. Um, how about this? What if uh, what if St. Rose holds its own on the glass? Would that concern you? That would lead me to ask a whole bunch of questions. I would just be very confused as to how they did that. Well, if they got out-hustled, if... You know, SU was relying on its size and not worrying but, about positioning or should, getting physical. But they should be able to do that and still easily win. The, I, I know. They, easily I win. I threw the question out there, the and I'm I'm just throw, so sure, okay, sure. throwing that out there. Sure, that could be something that if they would win the rebounding battle by single digits. Yeah. I think I'd be more concerned than if the final score was single, <laughs> single digits. digits. Yeah, that's something that could mildly concern me. Yes, because if they're doing it against St. Rose, what are they going to do when they face UConn, who's got bigger bodies, or Oregon, who's got uh, you know, Bull Bull or an Ohio State who's a, a top of the Big Ten team. What are they going to do against the better, bigger competition if they're doing that against St. Rose? That's the point you bring up. Right. Uh, we expect that this team, I think, is going to be better defensively, and they were good defensively last year. I think They this were team, fantastic defensively I think last this year. team will be even better defensively because they've got another year under their belt, and they're, you know, longer, they have more depth um, and I think an so important fatigue thing, won't really be be a factor with this team. I think an important thing along those lines is is that even even Elijah Hughes, who who it seems like he's going to be the main guy off the bench, and and uh, in addition to Brahma Sidibe and Jalen Carey, but, but no, but I, I think Hughes is going to play more minutes sure. than Carey, and that and and I guess that's what I mean. Hughes, who seems like the the main sixth man, the the first guy off the bench, the guy who's probably going to play the most minutes out of anybody on the bench. Um, He's been in this system for a year. He's practiced with them. He, in theory, understands the zone. In theory, he gets it. He knows the rotations. He knows what's going on. So I, I think that that's a nice thing to have, too. Because I remember sitting here talking with you a couple years ago, and, and it was Andrew White, it was John Gillen, and it was, man, why aren't these guys picking up the zone yet? Why? What's taking so long? Why Why haven't they gotten this yet? What, just just get it. Just do it. Just Just make plays. Uh, and I, I don't think we're going to have that feeling with Elijah Hughes this year because, he, again, he's been in the system. He he has that year under his belt where he couldn't play in games, but he was there in practice. And, and he was, uh, you know, working against Ty's battle, working against Frank Howard. Uh, and, and they were able to teach him and get him ingrained into this system. So I, I don't think that when he steps on the court for the first time, he's going to be lost like some other people are. I think some of it also has to do with buy-in too, right? I mean, you come into a new program, you're only there for a year. Um, it's not fun oh, to play yes. defense, and it's not fun necessarily to play this defense because it's it's not a sit back and rest in that two three zone. Like this is not just a, a bouncing around and and kind of catch your breath on defense so that you can perform on offense. You got to work hard in this defense for it to be effective. And I think Elijah Hughes, to your point, Seth, has seen that up close and personal, and he knows the system, and he knows the buy-in. He's he's invested in this program. He's going to be here for, for a few years, and I, I think that that certainly helps as well. So we think they're going to be better defensively. I think they're going to be better shooting the basketball as well. I think they have to be. You add Buddy Beheim into the be mix. Hard to be too much worse. You add Elijah Hughes into the mix. Um, remember, O'Shea Brissett was statistically this team's best three-point shooter last year. Um, and... 
you know, we discussed it on the show yesterday and in the past, I think Tyus Battles' percentages are going to go up because there are better players around him. He was a 32% three-point shooter last year. Brissett was at 33. Beheim, you would expect, is going to be better than that. Elijah Hughes can shoot the basketball. So I think they're going to be a better outside shooting team. I also think they're going to be a faster team. I think, you know, last year's team didn't really look to run for a lot of reasons. Um, I think this year's yes. team will. I, I agree, and that's the thing that I think I want to see the most, is is will this team run a little bit more? Last year it seemed like they got bogged down by the fact that by the end of the year they really only had five, they really only had five guys they wanted to play. Uh, they, they didn't have too many more guys that they wanted to get in the lineup. You're also talking about a seven-footer who, let's face it, wasn't totally healthy in Pascal Chukwu, and uh, another near seven-footer or seven-footer who clearly was not healthy uh, in Barama Sidibe. So if you were going to run, you were running four-on-five, or you know, you're, you're breaking out without a big man coming up behind you uh, because they, there just wasn't a way for one of those two to keep up. I, I think that they're going to run more. They've got four guys off the bench that they feel comfortable about playing. And that could, uh, you know, that that could lead to breathers and allow them to run a little bit more. I I would love to see that in the dome a little bit. I'll, I'll, I w- I won't even say a little bit more this season. A lot more this season. I would love to see a lot more running up and down the court. Fatigue's not going to be a factor, and the the skill set of this team lends itself to running and getting out into the open floor. So it should be a whole lot of fun. Again, they might not run a whole heck of a lot tonight. You know, down three point guards, but I think they certainly Don't will. Necessarily have to as the the season moves along. Seven o'clock tip tonight inside the Carry Dome. We do need to take a timeout. When we return, we're going to switch gears. We're going to talk SU football with Anthony Becht. He'll be on the call with Beth Moens inside the Dome on Saturday night. Keep it here. Orange Nation rolls on right after this on ESPN Radio. Our take on the day's top stories. It's today's business on Orange Nation. It's brought to you every day by Grossman St. Amore CPAs as we welcome in our producer, Tommy. What's up, Tommy? How you doing? Excited for tonight. It's from Q's basketball back. My favorite time of the year. Yeah, I know a lot of people don't love these preseason games. And yeah, would I prefer to see, you know, Duke or North Carolina, of course. But I, I do think we can learn some things, you know, yeah. not necessarily against the opponent, but just what certain guys look like and how much they've improved, what areas of their game they've improved, so on and so forth. I, I like these early season exactly. games. It's your first look at the newcomers. Elijah Hughes, no Jalen Carey, unfortunately, tonight, but you'll be able to see Buddy Beheim, Elijah Hughes, uh, Brahma Sidibe, how he, if he's going to be healthy. It's going to be, a, I'll be there. I don't know. It'll be a good time. I'm, I'm excited for it. It's my, Q's basketball is my favorite, my favorite team. Big, I've been going since I was three years old to the games. You going to be there tonight? I will be there tonight. I'm a season ticket holder. Very nice. Yes. Uh, What do you have for us? So Coach Beheim at ACC Media Day said, quote, The player is 17 years old. I've been working my whole life. There's a whole lot of 17-year-old kids that don't make money. Most of them, these 17-year-old kids are getting a $75,000 scholarship, and they compare that to a coach making all this money. What's the comparison there? So he's talking about... Players getting NCAA players getting paid, and he he doesn't agree. But he also said, "quote If Tyus Battle wants to do a commercial and make money for it, I'm 100 percent for that." So he's really saying he's okay with players selling their likeness or getting money because of their likeness, but he doesn't agree with the fact that they should be getting some sort of salary. What he's saying is we shouldn't be paying them, but they should be allowed to be paid by somebody. Sure, and and that's kind of where. I don't want to say that's where I stand because I, I think that ultimately, like, there's probably enough money that they could pay them some kind of a salary. 
Um, but at the same time, I, I understand all the inherent problems with doing that. And I understand that there's Title IX issues. I understand that a university is not going to be playing different members of paying different members of the same team different salaries uh, or different stipends or whatever you want to call it. So I tend to say, you know what? There's a much easier way of doing this, and, and it's allowing players to profit off their own likeness. I know that a lot of the focus has been on the first part of this with Jim Beheim, but that's a really big step that Jim Beheim has taken. Sure. Because uh, what was it, Steve? Last time he was asked about this, he was basically like, why would anybody want Tyus Battle in a commercial? These guys have no value. So I, I feel like that's a really big step forward. Do you happen to listen to Jay Billis uh, on... Uh... Mike and Golick. I, I did not. Or Golick and, and Wingo. Wingo. I yeah, not, I always no, forget I the name of the show. Golick and Wingo. I, he brought up an interesting point. He said people um, never mention this. They always say that you know the kid's going to get to go to school for free and, and so on and so forth, but they never bring up the fact that the schools don't need to welcome these kids in for one year like they right. you know the, the schools act like it's it's the players problem it, it's no like they're they're benefiting as well by welcoming the 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 kid in they don't have to accept a student that they know is only going to be there for seven months but they do it because it benefits them yes. and the kids benefit from it because they go to college and they get ready for the next step they're there for one year everybody benefits in in this situation um, and, you know, the question has become, and it's been asked for years, how much should the athlete benefit while they're on campus? You know where I stand on this, Seth. I think that if you start allowing them to receive money, or, or it came up with uh, North Carolina and the football players, you know, uh, selling their shoes. You think it and turns into say, an arms race, yeah, and, and people say, well, boosters will sell you more, will pay you more than others. Exactly. You know, why, you know, why can't a kid sell his own shoes? Well, it becomes, you know, who's buying those shoes and for how much? Do they just line up some rich booster that says, you know what, we'll give you these sneakers, I'll buy them back, you know, for $20,000. You can't, you can't have that because then it does become an arms race. You come here, our boosters will pay you 50000 You come here, our boosters will pay you a hundred thousand, and then it becomes a bidding war. So I, there is no simple answer because if there was, we would have it by now. Um, and I and I get that, but both sides benefit. It's not just the kid who who benefits by coming here for seven months and then makes it to the NBA. The schools obviously benefit. You know the televisions, uh, you know television networks. They benefit. Everybody benefits, and the question becomes, you know, are the kids benefiting enough? And I think we would all agree the kids are not benefiting enough while they're here. But I, I don't think there's a simple solution to it. I think, and I, I agree, and I, I understand your point. I, I think the more simple of the the two solutions is to allow them to at least profit off their likeness. I, I think that yes, there are questions about it, like you raised about, hey, couldn't a booster just do this and this and this, and the school could be involved and and know what boosters are going to pay? Sure, there is that aspect, but I, th- I think that the having the schools pay the kids directly has so many other questions, and and uh, forget. Forget would one school be able to pay another school more because, yes, obviously there are schools that would be able to pay more than others. Uh, but within the athletic department, it would create problems. Uh, Title IX, uh, Tyus Battle, in theory, should be making more than Adrian Autry Jr. Uh, how would that work itself out? You know, I, I, I think that there are so many questions in that model that I, I think the easier solution yeah, no doubt. is to allow them to just profit off their own likeness, do commercials. That seems like the next step. Do commercials, get cuts of, of jersey sales, whatever it might be. That sounds like the next step, yes. It's definitely a, a confusing topic, and a topic, like you said, that probably doesn't have an answer. And if it did, it would have already been been decided by now. But it's, it's nice to see a coach of Jim Beheim's stature to start loosening his opinion, I guess, and, and, and changing his opinion on this topic. Uh, Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson. 
It, and it was announced a couple months ago that they were going to be playing in a pay-per-view match one-on-one to see for $10 million. Well, it came out that it's going to be for $20, the pay-per-view. Would either of you guys buy this? I don't think I was going to buy it before, and I don't think I'm going to buy it now. I don't know that the price point is what did it for me. I just I don't know that I'm all that interested. I don't want to sit around and, and watch a round of golf. I, I think that's the that's the biggest problem for me. I don't I don't really want to sit around and watch around a golf. We've seen these these made for TV events before, the duel in the desert and so on and so forth. If this was like the first time we were seeing it, I would I would consider I do think twenty is a little steep, maybe nine ninety nine, but again, to Seth's point, I don't think the price point is necessarily keeping me from from purchasing it. There'll be plenty of people who do at that price point. Yeah, I think I think so. I think there. I just it's not unique. It's not new. I mean, I know there's a lot of money on the line, but these guys are already both millionaires. Seth brought up an interesting point during the break. He said, "Would it? Would you be more intrigued if the loser had to pay the winner the nine million dollars?" Yes. Now that is kind of interesting. Let's not do nine million because that seems a bit steep. One coming out of their own pocket. Like I would lower the money value if it was coming out of the golfers' pockets. It'd definitely be interesting. interesting. Two, Two million. Tiger's got to you got to write a check at the end of the afternoon, hand it over. It's just like on a Saturday morning, right? Four friends get together. It's exactly. you know two guys against the other two guys. Play, you might play for five play, bucks or whatever. Play, the case, you know, drinks afterwards. Play a hundred grand a hole. <laughs> for these guys, like it's, it's I mean, <laughs> it's chump change. A million bucks is chump change to these guys. But that would be interesting if they if you know because you know, I mean they're competitive anyway. My guess is because we've seen these before. My guess is. They're going to joke around and kind of yeah. take it easy on each other. It's going to have like and an then, all-star game feel right, to it. And then like the 13th, 14th hold, then it's going to get serious. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, if it was free, I would I, I would watch it. Um, I might. I don't know if I'd pay money for something that, again, we've, we've kind of seen this before. Not the exact setup of this, but we've seen an event like this before. Now, I know travel charges change this, but would you pay $20 to go to this? For there are no spectators, for no spectators for admission, sure, yeah, to see those guys play in person, yeah, that would be cool. There's no no spectators at this game. If this is interesting, I wonder why they why they chose to do that. I don't know, but no spectators. So everybody stays home and buys it. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, Today's business brought to you by Grossman Santa Mores. Look ahead to 2019 with Grossman Santa Mores CPAs. Remain focused with today's business on helping clients prosper by providing comprehensive accounting, auditing, tax planning. And preparation services, visit gsacpas.com. We'll preview week eight of the NFL season with Steve Andrus next. Keep it here. We'll be right back.